Hello and welcome to this interview for the University of St Andrews Institute of Intellectual History series, New Works in Intellectual History. I'm here today with Taeyong Kum. Uh, Kum teaches political theory at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and she is with us today to talk about her new book, Plato and the Mythic Tradition in Political Thought, published by Harvard University Press. The book looks incredible and the intersection between myth and political theory is fascinating. Like the book is on my list of books to read. Um, so I'm really excited to talk to you about it today. So the first question that I've got for you is, can you just tell us what led you to write this book? Uh, great. Uh, thank you so much for having me uh, on this program. I'm very excited. Um, so yeah, uh, so I, I actually came to Plato fairly early in my studies um, and I went on to postgraduate study knowing that I would vaguely want to work on something that had something to do with Plato. And um, this whole time it was always sort of like Plato's myths that I loved reading the most. Um, so Plato's myths are these vivid, fantastical stories that Plato invented and integrated into his philosophical dialogues like um, the myth of metals uh, in the Republic or the myths about the afterlife at the end of dialogues like the Gorgias, the, the Phaedo and the Republic. And these are myths that often stand out from the rest of the texts um, in which they are ensconced. So uh, when, a Plato, uh, when Plato has a character launch into a myth, that character is telling a story and not making a logically rigorous argument that's grounded in reasons necessarily. So this interest in Plato's myths was always in the background. Um, but this moment that kind of like sparked the idea for the whole book was when I came across uh, a myth in a philosophical treatise written by Leibniz, who was a philosopher writing two millennia after Plato. And um, this myth is the Petite Fable at the end of the Theodicy, uh, which ended up being the topic of the third chapter of this book. And um, briefly, the Petite Fable is this mythic dream vision about the coherence of the cosmos that concludes Leibniz's treatise on justice, the theodicy, which is itself a title that Leibniz really went out of his way to kind of like Greekify, so like theodicy is from Theos Dike, the justice of God. Um, and this uh, Leibniz's choice to end his great philosophical treatise uh, with uh, this myth about um, the coherence of the cosmos uh, um, uh, seemed to me like an obvious homage uh, to Plato's myth of Ur, uh, which is also this mythic dream vision about the coherence of the cosmos at the end of Plato's Republic. And to some extent, it also seemed to me to echo um, Scipio's dream, which is the uh, this mythic dream vision about the coherence of the cosmos that uh, we see at the end of Cicero's Republic, which is itself a, re, uh, a kind of like a re, uh, remixing of Plato's Republic. Um, so this is uh, when I came across this myth was when I started thinking that maybe Leibniz's myth was following in a distinct uh, tradition. Um, so I, that's when I started asking who, who else was doing this, uh, who else was writing myths that were modeled after or were homages to Plato's myths and sticking them in these uh, great philosophical treatises. And then the question becomes, well, why would a modern political philosopher even want to do that? So uh, that was the, uh, the moment that um, really like, sparked the, the idea for the book. That's so cool. It sounds fascinating. I've not come Thank across you. anyone that that has done that before. I'm not uh, I'm not come across it at all. So um, would you be able to give us a, a brief outline of the structure of the book and a sense of the main arguments that come up within it? 
Yeah, sure. So um, the, the structure, uh, there's a big introductory chapter followed by kind of like five substantive chapters uh, on uh, Plato, uh, Thomas More and Francis Bacon. The third chapter is on Leibniz, uh, and then there's a chapter on uh, uh, assorted early German idealists who are all kind of up to what I think is the same uh, project. And then the final substantive chapter is on uh, the 20th century philosopher Ernst Cassirer, and then there's a concluding chapter. Um, and yeah, to get, give you a sense of what uh, kind of like the individual chapters are like and what uh, they're, how they fit together into uh, a coherent argument. Um, uh, at one level, the book is trying to recover a coherent tradition in the reception of Plato of authors who found Plato's myths particularly significant, not just uh, his arguments. Um, so that uh, resulted in my kind of like doing in each chap substantive chapter some very painstakingly close readings of some relatively short moments in the texts. Uh, so I end up focusing on um, kind of like three of the major myths of Plato's Republic. Um, these uh, founding myths that uh, Moore and Bacon each wrote into Utopia and New Atlantis, um, the Petite Fabla that I just mentioned um, uh, at the end of Leibniz's Theodicy, the sort of two-page document uh, by an anonymous, or I mean, not we, we don't know the author, but um, a two-page document um, by a German idealist that's uh, known to us uh, uh, under the title The Oldest Systematic Program of German Idealism and uh, Ernst Cassier's reading of the myth of Ur in his, uh, in his work, uh, The Myth of the State. Um, and uh, these like short passages that I'm kind of like close reading in each of uh, my chapters are often uh, myths uh, like the Petite Fabla that I think were written after Plato's model or they're sort of otherwise uh, illuminating um, on, uh, regarding the influence of Plato on authors who are struggling with uh, the compatibility of myth uh, uh, with uh, philosophy and politics. Um, and then I guess the, the second thing that the, the book tries to do besides recovering this uh, tradition of authors who are uh, using Plato's myths as a touchstone in some way, um, uh, is the project of opening up a more broader theoretical discussion of the place of myth in philosophy and political thought. Um, so these authors uh, that I deal with in the individual chapters are often going against the dominant discourse uh, of their own times to, to assert uh, the political theoretical significance of myths. So most of the chapters also try to reconstruct the intellectual contexts in which these authors are taking the positions that they do on myth and on Plato. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned um, the works that you found in the Odyssey, and that you found that particularly interesting, uh, and that was kind of like a turning point for you. But was there yeah. anything else that you found was particularly interesting or surprising when you were doing the research for your book, or anything that stands out as being really significant for uh, you? Um, yeah, the thing that really uh, surprised me as I was kind of diving into this project was, um, I guess, the word kind of like the two threads of my projects end up coming together. Or at the time I when I started, I didn't know that there would be two threads. I thought like my project would just be about um, uh, recovering this uh, tradition of uh, thinkers who uh, 
um, who were using Plato's myths as a significant touchstone for um, for their work. But then uh, the other thread uh, that ended up getting uh, that this ended up opening up was uh, this very like large and like messy, but I think also very interesting um, question on um, what's the place of myth at large rather than uh, these like little literary myths that uh, people are writing into uh, uh, their philosophical writings. Um, so what is the, the place of, kind of like myth more generally in, in politics and philosophy? Um, so what I mean by this is that uh, as I started uh, diving into this project, it really struck me that myth as a concept is just very fraught in theoretical scholarship. Um, and uh, what surprised me was that this uh, this concept myth really seems to have historically taken on a really outsized significance for what it actually is. So ordinarily, we are accustomed to a fairly specific meaning of myth as a kind of traditional literary genre of tales about supernatural figures or uh, events. And that's the genre that um, I guess like Plato is playing with when he uh, incorporates them um, and kind of like reinvents them for his own philosophical purposes. But from uh, the Enlightenment onward, um, or I guess in the years leading up to the Enlightenment as well, this genre um, of myth also comes to double as a philosophical concept, um, often as a kind of catch-all category for all sorts of things like stray falsehoods. Um, it's like a byword for superstition or kind of like irrationality in general, or um, as we go closer towards the 20th century, myth also becomes uh, kind of like a like a theoretical proxy for shared cultural assumptions undergirding society at large. Um, so this kind of disproportionate conceptual baggage that has been freighted onto the category of myth um, is something that I had to wade through uh, while uh, working on this project. And um, it's what I end up grappling with in the long introductory chapter uh, of the book. Um, so that was something that I found uh, quite yeah, just very like surprising that I had to like work with, but hopefully I think I made the, the book richer. Yeah, I'm just reading the introductory chapter at the moment and I'm really <laughs> enjoying it. I think it's, well, it's so quite interesting. Um, yeah, I saw that the talk that you did, um, I think it was with Andrew Norris. Oh yeah, yeah, my colleague. Yeah. Barbara. And I saw that, and that was really interesting, particularly at the start when you related it back to to the myths of, of Britishness and Englishness and those ideas. Um, I thought that was really interesting. That's great. You know, thank you so much for watching that. So yeah, so like I guess post two thousand sixteen, there um there has been this real surge in I guess contemporary. Uh, I guess like everyday usages of the the word myth that has really like soared as people are uh, kind of like rethinking uh, the place of kind of like grand narratives or like kind of like inherited symbols and uh, kind of like imaginative visions that we have that seem to motivate political actors. Um, and uh, again, we sort of like see commentators reaching for the language of myth to talk about um, some of these kind of like elusive cultural phenomena that seems to have um, become more prominent in contemporary politics. Um, so um, I think, well, we'll see. <laughs> I think uh, Plato and some of the authors that I've looked at in this book might have something to tell us about uh, how we should like begin thinking about uh, such things. Yeah, definitely. So 
how do you think that the book contributes to or will change your field of research going <laughs> forward? Yeah, uh, sure. So uh, I guess I could talk about kind of like three different things. Uh, so I guess the first uh, contribution that, that I hope to make um, uh, with this book has to do with uh, uh, just striving towards a more faithful representation of Plato's legacy. So at least in my field of uh, political theory, um, uh, you do have this narrative that keeps um, uh, recurring of uh, that that uh, holds up Plato as a kind of like founding figure for uh, our discipline. And when Plato is celebrated this way, he's often celebrated as someone who invented philosophy by making critical thinking and discourse uh, central to his enterprise over uh, things like myth. And um, I want my big book to, um, I guess, convince uh, uh, my readers and my colleagues uh, that this is an incomplete portrait of uh, both Plato and his influence in the history of political thought. Um, so we, uh, I think there's this crucial, um, if neglected, part of the reception of Plato in modern political theory uh, that was consisted in the reevaluation and the reinterpretation and even reinvention of his philosophical myths, I think. Um, uh, having a more complex and a fuller portrait of uh, what uh, what exactly we're uh, alluding to when we um, kind of like keep referring to Plato and his legacy this way as a kind of a founding figure for the tradition um, is something that uh, I hope my <laughs> my book will uh, will do. Um, the uh, the second um, contribution, I think, uh, is for uh, a more a smaller but more interdisciplinary group of um, scholars who are interested in thinking theoretically about myth, and um, and uh, for I guess some of the reasons I alluded to earlier about how. Uh, conceptually disproportionately loaded the category of myth is, I think it's um, often difficult for scholars of myth to kind of like find uh, a concrete thing to latch on to when they're talking about myth because it becomes this uh, this really broad sprawling uh, category and um, and I think uh, my book uh, hopefully tries to model one way in which um, you can talk about something that's like more concrete, but uh, doesn't lose sight of the broader stakes surrounding the concept of myth. Um, so uh, because I'm like trying to latch on to a more specific meaning of myth as the sort of literary genre, uh, which is what uh, the thinkers uh, in this platonic mythic tradition are doing. Um, but I'm also clear that often the, their interest in turning to this genre uh, is as a liter as a kind of theoretical proxy for of like larger cultural forces that they're trying to um, find a new language for talking about. Um, and then finally, the, the third, I guess, contribution, uh, if I can say so, is uh, um, is kind of just raising uh, a, a more uh, open-ended question uh, about uh, what the place of myth in politics and philosophy ought to be. Um, so, uh, like we uh, often tend to think of myth as something that ought to have no place in um, uh, politics that you know like ideally should be rational and kind of like motivated towards uh, yeah like rational progress 
Um, and uh, and I think the, the thinkers uh, in this tradition um, suggest an alternate possibilities. I think they they not only believe that myth uh, was a consequential force that we really could not afford to just merely ignore, but they they uh, seem to believe that a myth also had the potential to be constructive for our politics and philosophy. And um, they they thought of myth as a very rich and dynamic medium that um, uh, could help contour thought in ways that complement rather than merely oppose our, our critical faculties of reason. And I think that uh, in turn opens up kind of like a broader discourse on, um, uh, on how we should uh, I guess, uh, acknowledge, embrace, and do more to study some of the more kind of like figurative or imaginative dimensions of um, uh, politics and how political actors view the world. That sounds amazing. The contributions sound really cool. I think yeah. definitely, definitely, like I said, it's something new that I've seen. So I hope it does make some changes. Oh, yeah, um, yeah definitely. <laughs> And so I know a bit about your previous work, but could you just tell us a bit more about how the book fits with your previous work and uh -huh. how it fit with sort of up, upcoming work or ideas you've got of where it might go in the future? Yeah, sure. So um, I think so. I, this is actually my first book, so I, I don't have a great deal of previous work to go off of. <laughs> uh, I guess before writing this book, I, I, I wrote um, uh, Mainly um, some like articles about uh, Plato. Um, so uh, th there was an article uh, that was very closely related to this project on um, Plato's myth of Ur, um, again, the myth at the end of the Republic. And before that, I had an article on the role of crowds in Plato's depiction of Socrates' method. And I guess uh, the book is continuous in a broad sense with um, my preference for reading Plato's texts closely and taking uh, their literary features very seriously. And um, this is something that I have in common with many other, though not all, uh, scholars working on Plato today. And it's certainly something I think that I have broadly uh, have in common with the other protagonists of my book who did pay attention to what's going on literarily when Plato decides to incorporate his own invented myths into his philosophical writings. Um, as for kind of like future work, um, I guess the next large research project that I'm beginning to think about uh, is uh, it is still on the topic of myth, but I sort of want to expand that more broadly to um, kind of like symbolic, uh, the symbolic dimensions of politics, um, especially as uh, the the issue preoccupied um, um, at this one twentieth later twentieth century German philosopher Hans Blumenberg, who was a philosopher of myth, uh, but also like metaphors uh, and symbols more generally. And uh, I would like to put um, him in conversation with kind of like more overtly political theoretical authors that uh, people are more familiar with, like Jürgen Habermas and Carl Schmitt, who were also in uh, kind of like different ways interested in uh, thinking through um, yeah, the role of like, yeah, the symbolic dimensions of politics. Yeah, that sounds really good. I look forward to seeing the future works. The final question that I've got for you is what do you expect readers, researchers or students to, to find in the book that 
will be significant for them? Uh huh. Um, yeah, uh, so I think I've gone over uh, uh, what, what I hope people will take away from the book. Yeah. Um, I think uh, uh, people, I mean, it, it does cover what looks like a very uh, broad ranging uh, collection of um, thinkers that have brought together. So um, hopefully uh, students or scholars uh, working on any of the authors uh, who are um, any of the thinkers who are treated in uh, the book will find hopefully kind of like a fresh take on um, an author that they uh, are other an author that may otherwise be familiar to them and um, I think people working on um, Plato uh, and the significance of his myths hopefully will uh, feel affirmed uh, in knowing that there, there were these other great thinkers who found Plato's myths incredibly interesting. And, um, and I think it, uh, it contributes hopefully um, uh, to kind of like the study of Plato's reception um, uh, in a way that uh, I think uh, would be interesting for people who uh, are uh, interested in uh, what exactly is Plato's legacy when we keep referring to it as this kind of like touchstone for uh, talking about the identity and the trajectory of um, uh, of the discipline? Yeah, so uh, those are all the questions that I've got for you, but I want to say a huge thank you for, for coming on for us. It, it's been amazing to, to discuss this with you and I found it really fascinating. It's definitely got me rethinking some of the things that I've I've studied and read particularly in relation to to Plato and the way he's been received um by other figures in history um it's it's been great talking to you I, I oh, really just want to wish so you the best of luck in the future I really want to hear about all the new projects Okay, no, thank you so much uh, for having me and, and, and I look forward to uh, to following this really great series. I think you've um, had some really uh, wonderful scholars on, so uh, I, I, I think I'm finding myself in really great company. Yeah, you are and, and it's been amazing having you again. I wish you all the best with, um, with the Hans Boomberg work. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>